Cruise is made possible thanks to those who donate to the show at JapanBuyRiverCruise.com and due to the generosity of our corporate sponsors. This is a message from Kawaranu Kabashiki Keisha. Did you know that starting this month, all Japanese retailers will no longer be offering complimentary plastic bags? That's why now is the perfect opportunity to buy your very own Kawaranu Kabashiki Geisha My Bag, a traditional Japanese Echo Bag. At just 1900 yen, this mass-produced synthetic fabric washable tote bag is perfect for all of your shopping needs. And while neither the manufacturing nor the materials are traditionally Japanese, the Kawaranu My Bag does include a special pocket containing 10,000 ultra-thin plastic bags which each contain yet another nested plastic bag to make sure that you never have to have less than three layers of protection between you and your individually wrapped country mams. Kawaranu Kabashiki Gaisha My Bag. Use discount code JBRC to order and we'll wrap it in five kilos of one-time use cellophane at no extra charge. <laughs> Hello, Brian, and welcome back to Japan by River Cruise. I'm Bobby Judo. And I'm Oli Hong. And joining us this week is Magdalena Osumi, journalist for the Japan Times, who cut her teeth by covering Japan's tumultuous river cruise-related homicide beat. Magdalena, thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me and for having me here. On this week's show, hundreds of legal residents of Japan are stranded overseas by an openly discriminatory COVID-19 re-entry policy. Complaints about the system are really making things difficult for right-wing Japanese trolls who now have to think of something to say to gaijin who are already back in their country. Plus, Ali's got your weekly River Cruise recommendation. Ali? Yes, this week's River Cruise recommendation is the Menomae Gurume Fesu, which is happening on board a large Japanese River Cruise liner outside Yokohama this year, celebrating the Japanese culinary tradition of preparing food in front of the customer's eyes. Don't miss getting up close and personal with top sushi chefs, teppanyaki grill masters, and subway sandwich artists. And, perfect for rainy season, we'll teach you about the Japanese proverb, rivers are muddy after the rain, and how the Tokushima-based Crystal Blue Waterway LLC is using it to deny me a refund. But first, Soap Talk. <laughs> Bobby Judah, how's your week been? Uh, I I did a online roast battle. I don't know if you caught it. That sounds terrible. I did the Team Tokyo versus uh, Team Roast Battle LA comedy show. Um, yeah, mixed bag. I will say that uh, I lost my battle and I deserve to lose it, if only because the guy in LA called me Gaijin Fieri. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> It's like he's a he's a Western guy who cooks in Japan, and he called me Gaijin Fieri, and it was just so good that 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 single joke took the whole battle. I, I did actually catch up on the battle, and uh, I liked it when you made the joke that uh, you have a hundred thousand uh, subscribers on YouTube, and so there'd actually be more people watching the battle if everyone else just went away and it was just you. And then one of the judges said, you look like someone that has 100,000 subscribers on YouTube. But I think a more accurate description of what you look like is, you look like someone that used to have 100,000 subscribers on YouTube. Well, technically, they're still there. They just don't watch anymore. <laughs> well, I'm glad you like that joke. I think that's the joke that lost me the battle for the judges. Um, 
Magdalena, I wanted to ask you, you're closer to Tokyo than either Ali and I are. And uh, Tokyo right now is kind of like the center of the second wave of coronavirus. You guys are setting record numbers again, aren't you? Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but, I'm, uh, but, um, but I'm lucky and I, I don't really live in Tokyo. So I'm, um, I'm happy that, I, that even though the pandemic is uh, still unfolding, well, it is unfolding every, everywhere. But uh, even though the numbers are growing in Tokyo, I'm still more than 40 kilometers uh, away from the center. Yeah. Which for someone that's not from Tokyo, that seems like you're still basically in Tokyo. Uh, but still, uh, but but still, there's a there, there's a distance, and I I'm, I try to stay at, at home as much as I can. Ali, remember the minimum distance is six feet, so forty kilometers covers more than enough. Yes. Well, I'm just proud, Bobby, that you're using the metric system. <laughs> do all Japan Times journalists work from home, or do you have a bureau that you're supposed to go into that you're just not going into because of COVID? Most of us uh, work from home now, and because. Uh, our job allows allows it, and it's easy to um, to find information uh, online. Even uh, some news conferences are uh, held online now. So most of us uh, work from home and occasionally go to Tokyo to attend some uh, some or events press or, or, uh, or yeah. press conferences. But but there aren't too many because yeah. of the pandemic. Ali, what about you? Have you had a productive week? Yeah, I didn't lose any roast battles. <laughs> I did uh, I did win a battle with cheesecake, however. I've spent the week learning how to make cheesecake. And I found out, it's. I now understand why uh, all my Japanese friends enjoyed making cheesecake and bringing them to parties. Because it's the easiest thing in the world. I've never, uh, I've never known so little effort to make something that otherwise seems so impressive now i've seen how the sausage is made i'm not impressed by anyone making cheesecake it is it, you just you literally you add sugar to cream cheese eggs optionally you put it in the oven and it's done it's it's astonishing it's it's just it's just nice things put together create something nice who would have thought i don't want to blow your mind but you know you can do a no-bake cheesecake and just re-chill it and it's pretty much the same thing bobby you can open up a packet of cream cheese and eat it with a spoon <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I've, I've absolutely, I've, I've nailed it. The problem is now I, I don't really have many people to give the cheesecake to. Uh, and so I've worked out that uh, that cheesecake makes a good breakfast, uh, lunch <laughs> and and dinner. But I make sure to slice it in different ways to accommodate for, for the different meal times. You know, so, you know, f f for, my for my morning cheesecake, I'll, I'll crumble it like a breakfast cereal. Lunchtime standard. Uh, in the evening, I'll cut it like a parallelogram to make it fancy. Speaking of ways to evaluate one's self-worth, should we go ahead and take a look at our mail this week? Yes. What did we get? Uh, we've got a message here. Oh, it looks like somebody bought us a coffee. Uh, username at, what is it? Tuberculosis Pod. Right? <laughs> this yes. is nothing but a selfish ploy to get you to mention my podcast, The Bean Pod. Ah, on your podcast, which will hopefully send my listenership through the roof. It's in the dungeon now. That was a coffee purchased for us by the podcast Tuberculosis Ean Pod. <laughs> that is a username at TB, which stands for tuberculosis, and then Ean Pod. Uh, e, of course, meaning extra. A, of course, meaning atrocious. And N, which apparently is the N-word, so we probably probably shouldn't even say that on air. <laughs> Seems like a terrible podcast, Bobby. Well, look, they've, they've paid their $4, so they've got their mention, right? So they've got what they want, which is we're mentioning their podcast, but that's not going to stop us from 
telling our listenership, do not download this podcast. <laughs> We've also got a message from Brian in Fukuoka, the one and only, uh, which means it's a Brian Brian. And he writes, hey, Bowie's great show this week. The best yet. I can't really put my finger on why exactly. Maybe the guest. You can't go wrong with a Brian. Love, Brian. I really appreciate the message, Brian. And I will reply to it with one of my own fingers. I'll let you figure out which one. Bobby, shall we take a look at the news? (laughs) Ollie Horn, what's in the news this week? Well, this news story isn't just news this week. This has been the main story. It's been the main thing that's occupying hundreds, if not thousands, of individuals who are either unable to leave Japan when they need to for fear of not being able to get back in, or people that are stuck outside of Japan that have lives, homes, mortgages, loved ones, affairs, whatever, back in Japan, which they're not able to access. Uh, We've had a number of people get in touch saying they want us to cover this story. I don't think a story has resonated as much with the Uh, foreigner community in Japan as much as this one. Basically, Japan ain't letting permanent residents back in, even though even though they're now talking about letting Japanese people go out of the country and back in again. So this has just uh, opened the Japanese bureaucrats up to uh, claims that there have been double standards, that they're being xenophobic, etc, etc. And Magdalena, you've been covering this since the beginning. Like, you've been writing stories about this since Japan first introduced their travel restrictions and their bans. Uh, it's really complicated, but uh, I'm wondering where, where I should start, because um, Japan first introduced restrictions on foreign travelers in March. And in, in the first stage, Japan only uh, required foreigners to undergo quarantine. Right for 14 days after they arrive uh, in Japan. And by foreigners, do you mean anybody, irrespective of the visa they were on, whether they were just tourists? This was just anyone that was coming into the country would have to quarantine. Uh, as far as I remember, uh, this uh, covered all uh, all mm. foreigners, or uh, regardless of their uh, visa status. But uh, the point is that on uh, April the 2nd, Japan introduced um, stricter rules that came uh, into effect uh, on the 3rd. So basically, all foreigners who wanted to leave uh, Japan after uh, this ban was introduced, they needed permission to leave, to re-enter. I need to correct myself because everyone can leave. And that, that's what really saddened me when I was uh, talking to one official from the immigration agency because he told me, like... Look, everyone can leave. Yeah. And, uh... <laughs> right. But it, it's such a non-argument, isn't it? Right? Because it's not leaving that matters. It's coming back. It's like, it's like people saying that doc, Dr. Doolittle could talk to animals. I mean, it's only relevant if he could also understand what they're saying back. We can all talk <laughs> to them. <laughs> uh, so, um, even if permanent residents, people with long-term resident visas. And we need to, I need to clarify for people who think that long-term resident is uh, just someone who lives in Japan for long, for a few years. It's a special uh, permission, a special uh, visa status, uh, long-term resident visa. And uh, also spouses or children of permanent residents or Japanese nationals who those who live who want to live now 
they need permission from the officials uh, to re-enter the country. Otherwise, they may not be allowed back in for a while. And it's not just leaving and coming back. It's also the idea that there were a lot of people who who were just caught in other countries. They're legal permanent residents. They're legal residents of Japan, but they were caught in other countries when the ban went into place and now are not allowed to come back to their jobs, their families, those kinds of things. Exactly. And I'm aware of at least several hundred people who are in that situation. Wow. Uh, after talking to many people from India, Pakistan, and many countries in Europe, all over the world, to be honest, because I've been uh, receiving messages almost every day. So to be clear, for people that are not familiar with, with kind of how Japanese visas work, if you go to Japan to study or to get a job, you'll get a working visa, which gives you a residency card, right? But some people who stay yes. for a longer period or who maybe marry a Japanese person can have a different category of residency. And, and, yes. and I guess what people are saying is that there's a certain category of residency, which is akin to citizenship. I mean, they don't become Japanese, but on paper, they, they uh, kind of have all the same rights as a Japanese person would have to live, to work. Uh, to to you know claim benefits etc but they're nevertheless being treated differently because they have a passport from a different country even though their whole life is in japan in japanese japanese mortgage job blah yes. blah, blah. The, the thing is that um in theory uh permanent residents are uh, the, the only difference between permanent residents and uh, national uh, and Japanese nationals should be uh, the right to vote and uh, foreign nationals don't really don't have it right. but uh, in this situation it appears that uh, even foreigners who uh, people who don't have Japanese passports uh, and who have lived for in Japan for 20 30 years Mm. They may not be allowed back uh, just because of the of the of the the entry ban. Well, I think I saw in one of the articles the idea that the the line should be drawn between short term and long term in terms of your stay in Japan, but instead it's being drawn between Japanese and non-Japanese. Even that distinction doesn't make any sense because we've got to remember the reason for this ban is to stop COVID coming in. And it shouldn't matter how yes. many years you've lived in Japan before you visit abroad. Surely what's relevant is whether you're carrying the virus in in the preceding 14 days from your entry into the country. I think that there are so many misconceptions in Japan, like among Japanese people who think that uh, because Japanese have those high standards of uh, hygiene or, or uh, those wearing masks everywhere uh, and uh, this misconception that all Japanese people obey rules. I do think a lot of it does play into the idea of what the perception of Japanese people is and what the perception of foreigners is. And I've been trying to be very careful recently with not saying foreigners anymore, with saying like non-ethnically Japanese, because I think there is this room for someone to be American or originally British or something like that. But then to be a legal permanent resident of Japan, I think that qualifies you in a sense as Japanese, doesn't it? When, I, when I'm reporting, I usually try to use a, a word foreign uh, national, foreign uh, resident. I think I'm a bit guilty of this, that I have a bit of a double standard that I have a number of friends who are not born in the UK, who have lived in the UK for a certain amount of time, maybe studied there. And I would 
comfortably say that they're British. And if they claimed they were British, I would I would acknowledge that and I wouldn't think to question it. Because for me, Britishness does not exclude you having some other identity. However, I'm more than happy to use the word foreigner in relation to Japan, just because I've been so normalized that the Japanese perception yeah. of Japaneseness is Japaneseness <laughs> to the exclusion of all other identities. I, I got exactly the same thing when I realized one day that when I translate the word gaikokujin or gaijin in my head, I translate it as person who is not Japanese. When it, it means, it only means that inside of Japan. It's a word that means foreigner. And to me, my concept of foreigner had mutated into foreigner equals non-Japanese, which is, I think, exactly what Japanese people think well, it I is. remember doing a, a show at the Edinburgh Fringe a couple of years ago with my friend Saku. We did it all in Japanese. And we attracted about an 80% Japanese crowd in Edinburgh. And I emceed the show and I said, it's so nice to see so many foreigners here. And of course, the Japanese people looked around to see two or three white faces. And I was like, no, no, I'm talking to you. <laughs> but, well, I usually uh, explain my, to my Japanese friends that they are foreigners to me. So, yeah, uh, I imagine the Japan Times has to be quite careful when it comes up with its style guide with terms like this. When we are reporting and writing, we are trying to use... Uh, expressions that are actually relevant to the situation of uh, people of our readers, many of whom are born outside Japan but have lived uh, in the country for many years and can't be put in that category of foreigners seen as the same as uh, visitors from uh, from abroad. Right. However, right. going back to this story, individuals who only hold a foreign passport, who are in who are living in Japan, not on the basis of having Japanese nationality, are currently still prevented from going back into the country if they were to leave unless they get some kind of special permission. And that permission is not necessarily granted, is it? Uh, it's really interesting that uh, um, after um, several uh, articles I wrote and uh, some other uh, media outlets followed suit, uh, the Immigration Agency, Immigration Services Agency, uh, posted on their website a list of examples uh, of situations you, they can they take into consideration for huma humanitarian grounds. I noticed this as well, and it reminded me of the episode where Ali talked about Japanese copyright law, because he talked about the idea that Japanese law sets these specific cases and says, this is an example, and if your case is the same as this example, then it's accepted. And in the same way, these criteria for re-entry that they posted were such specific examples. And, and it's things like having to go abroad for a surgery or to give birth or to visit an ailing relative. One of them I saw was if you had to appear in court as a witness, which kind of struck me as funny because it was like, did you witness a murder? You're allowed back in. Were you on trial for murder? You have to stay out. Well, but for to many people, it's not really that funny because uh, apparently this is uh, this announcement came in response to uh, questions to uh, phone calls the agency uh, has uh, started receiving after my uh, well, not only mine but after uh, reports, media reports uh, about this situation. And when I talked to the to an official from the agency yesterday, he told me that uh, they received like. 100 at least 100 daily like 100 or 200 phone calls from people in uh, asking if their situation matches the criteria right and and let's let's be really frank here one of the humanitarian grounds is not 
I fucking live there, right? Like my life is there, you know. Yeah. They're, they're yes. still having to make their mortgage payments. They're having to get their friends to go in and make sure that their pets are okay. I mean, let, let's be, let's call this out for what it is. It's mad. It's absolutely yeah. crazy. It's crazy. It is because uh, many people who who left Japan before Japan put, put those uh, countries they happen to be in uh, on the list, and those um, restrictions were updated four times, around four times. Yeah. Uh, through uh, and the the latest edition was uh, came to effect on Wednesday, July the first, and it's um, and Japan added eighteen countries to the list, and now the 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 count the list covers one hundred. 29 countries so actually like uh, a third of uh, the nations are are covered so most people don't can, can't uh, come but of course this still excludes thousands and thousands of people who might be on short-term work visas or students for example who might be having to finish their thesis let's say there are still so many people that are not covered by this Yes, and uh, and for now it, the the restrictions are set to remain in place. We don't really know until when because Japan started um, negotiations with uh, several countries, and uh, it's set to allow people f uh, traveling for business. Uh, prior priority will be given for people for business travelers, then students, and then travel tourists. And uh, we are in the first stage where uh, only people from Vietnam, Thailand, New Zealand, and Australia will be allowed, but like with a quota of uh, two hundred fifty people. Uh, daily, but it's just a portion, just a, a small number. So most people who live here, who have working visas, who have student visas, are not allowed, and they know, don't know when they will be. It's funny to me the idea that they're prioritizing business. Um, I, I went to the states the very end of February and came back the beginning of March, and even then I was kind of scared. Like, are there going to be restrictions put in place before I make it back? Because if there are. I mean, my kids and my wife would be allowed back in and I wouldn't because they've got Japanese passports and I don't. But the idea that Japan is kind of prioritizing business travel and not caring so much about maybe somebody who is trapped abroad but has a Japanese husband or wife seems to me to reflect kind of like Japanese business culture and Japanese personal personal culture as well. Because it's this idea of like, well, my wife is in a different country like, yeah, we don't see that as an issue. It's like, well, I need to go out for a business trip. Oh, well, we'll get right on that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, it's true that uh, Japan uh, is... Many industries in Japan have uh, been hit by labor shortages. And now we see that they are pr prioritizing uh, business people because they just need them. A lot of people have been leveling criticisms uh, against the Japanese government for their handling of this because there might be broader effects than these kind of individual cases of people not being able to get back into their homes, people you know, not being able to, to get married as they plan to or not be able to finish their studies. Uh, apart from all these hundreds and hundreds of individual cases, each of which no doubt hugely annoying, in some cases very, very upsetting, there's kind of a broader problem that this might prevent foreign citizens having confidence in the Japanese state, that if they feel that their ability to live in the country might be removed at whim, the Jap the international community might be less interested to, say, invest in property or to I don't know, set up a business which they plan to keep long term. Do you get any sense that 
the Japanese bureaucrats are aware that this, quite aside from these kind of individual cases, does create a broader problem of perception. Mm, I'm not sure if uh, Japanese uh, bureaucrats are uh, aware of uh, consequences of their decisions, because I think that many policies in Japan are uh, like set without imagination and of the like what what will happen after that and in uh, when the pand- pandemic started i think that they introduced the ban just uh, as as a temporary uh, measure and they didn't think that it may uh, last so long and now they don't really know how to how to get this mess under control <laughs> i think the hypocrisy of it is demonstrated enough by the idea that they're letting japanese people come back from certain countries, but not letting foreign residents of Japan come back from those same countries. But I also think there's something to be said about the idea that it's not really about preventing the coronavirus as much as it is about business, the way they're prioritizing the re-entry. It's about money. I mean, I saw in one of the articles that the European Union is now saying, we've got this trade deal that's suffering because we can't go back and forth between Japan let us in, let us in. And that same article specified that Japan is prioritizing Asian countries, not because of their COVID numbers, but because they've got stronger economic ties with those countries. We also need to take um, into account that the fact that uh, those countries haven't seen any major surge of uh, in those uh, in the number of uh, infections, and so relatively, these uh, those countries have the pandemic under control to some extent. Right, but even if a country still has COVID cases, if you send someone in and they're quarantined for fourteen days then in theory they're safe. I mean, isn't the, the point of quarantining that if someone's mm. brought the virus in, then they can be treated? And if after 14 days they haven't brought the virus in, then they're at no risk of spreading it to other people anyway. Well, I, I agree. And I think that like this pandemic has shown how the government is seeing uh, its residents and it has shown all those shortcomings in uh, in the systems and foreigners are not seen as uh, as a part as part of the of the society as uh, Japanese nationals. Well, the, there is an interesting debate in law, isn't there, about whether the the Japanese constitution, when they talk about Nihon Kokumin, and Kokumin uh, being the kanji for country and people, whether that refers to people who have a Japanese passport or people that are citizens of Japan. And if the latter, that means that fundamental rights, as given by the Japanese constitution, are applicable to everybody, irrespective of your passport. Whereas there are some legal precedents that Nihon Kokumin might actually only mean Japanese people. Uh, yes, in in 1992, there was a um, a ruling uh, in case of a an, an American woman who was trying to leave Japan. Uh, it's a very similar situation to uh, to what we see today that she was trying to to get a permission to return <laughs> to Japan. Mm. And in her case, she re- it well, it's a bit different now because now everyone is uh, forced well, forced everyone's required to give fingerprints. But at that time, it wasn't common and. And she was told to give fingerprints to get the permission to return to Japan after leaving uh, the country for South Korea. 
uh, she was married to a Japanese national and she was a long-term resident. But she was uh, she refused to give fingerprints and uh, was uh, denied um, permission to re-enter Japan. And in the, in her case, uh, in the ruling, the court said that only uh, that under cu- customary international law, Japan doesn't have to doesn't have any obligation to mm. accept uh, foreigners. And uh, so they are not covered. They uh, they don't have their rights to return to the country and travel travel abroad freely under the constitution, which only uh, applies to Japanese nationals. Using customary international law is such a weak authority. Like in kind of how law works, right? Customary international law is the bare minimum. Let me put it this way. Customary international law, if it were food regulations, would be stuff like don't mix the soup with your dick. Like really, (laughs) really (laughs) obvious stuff that frankly doesn't need to be said anymore. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't think if there's any uh, foreign citizens which were looking to make a claim against the Japanese government for them being left outside their house, they're likely to get very far. But I do think, I, I remember I left Japan for two weeks once to to go and do some shows and I came back and the power of my apartment had cut off and the state of the fridge when I came back, I've not smelt anything like it. So, I mean, if Japan's not careful, there's just going to be a series of foreign fridges. And you know the kind of weird stuff that foreigners eat, uh, which eventually are going to stink the nation out so much that all Japanese people are just going to want to leave en masse anyway. To be fair, one of the reasons Ali's fridge was such a mess was because it contained soup that he had stirred with his dick. much for listening to this episode 42 of japan by river cruise thanks as ever to those who are members if you want to get access to the extra bits of this episode please go to your private feed at buymeacoffee.com thank you also to tea bean pod for buying that one coffee thereby setting the price at just four dollars for us to use this platform to say literally anything that precedent is going to cost us yeah once our official advertisers get word of that you have effectively ruined the podcast um but Ruining podcasts seems like something that you've got experience with. Hey, Bobby ruined uh, my podcast too. I have another podcast. Yes, this boy went through two difficult breakups, therefore two podcasts. Uh, I have another podcast all about food. It's called My Signature Dish, and it's stories from home kitchens around the world. And last month, I was stuck for a guest, therefore Bobby came on it. Uh, Bobby, for those that don't know, has legit credentials as a cook. He has his own cooking show. And he uh, has a cookbook, an actual recipe book published. Uh, and also, he does cook well. I mean, that's I guess that, that should be a given. But then again, anyone that knows Japanese TV knows that that's not necessarily a given. So if you're interested in listening to Bobby talk about himself for 45 minutes outside of the context of this podcast, uh, then there'll be a link to that episode in the description. Yeah, and, and that podcast now officially owes this podcast $4 for that bit of promotion <laughs> right there. Sincere thanks to our guest this week, Magdalena Osumi. You can find her on Twitter at JT underscore MAG underscore OS. She does a lot of great important work, uh, a lot of great articles on the Japan Times. We'll put a link to her archive of her stories in the show notes. Very glad to have her on and we hope to have her back. We'll see you next week.